So welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome this podcast, Dr. Ioanni Zavantamonti. Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you. So you have some exciting programs in terms of tumor microenvironment, and you're in the faculty of the bioengineering department, University of Pittsburgh. Can you tell us a little bit about your science and where your program is headed? My primary appointment is at the Department of Bioengineering, and I'm also a member of the UPMC Hillman Cancer Center. In our lab, we're interested in developing bioengineered models of the tumor microenvironment, that is, the environment surrounding the tumor cells. So the last years, through the advances in single-cell technologies, we're learning a lot that in addition to genomic alterations in the cells in the tumor microenvironment, such as fibroblasts, endothelial cells, immune cells, are also significantly implicated in progression of tumors. So patients that have different immune cell subpopulations may progress faster, their tumors may progress faster, but also important implications in how patients respond to therapies. So a major challenge in the field is to have models where we can identify better therapies and personalize therapies for each patient. So in the lab, we're using microfluidic technologies, 3D cell culture, and systems biology approaches to put this all together. Start with the tumor cells, cells in their microenvironment, such as fibroblasts and macrophages, and we have a specific interest in breast and ovarian cancer. So if I understand what you just shared, you basically got to take a tumor from a patient and assess its response to various inputs, personalized basis. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So one of the advantages using those microfluidic technologies is that you only need a very small sample from the tumor. So you can have only a few microliters of a cell suspension, and that would be sufficient to analyze hundreds of tumor cells. And this is really critical, actually, the development of new bioengineered tools that would be integrated in the clinical pipeline in addition to the processes employed by our clinical collaborators. So can you share with us the number of strategies one might consider in terms of how to address a particular tumor in a given patient? Yes. So I think the field is changing very rapidly. Every year we have at least few targeted cancer therapies or combination cancer therapies for specific tumor types. For example, recently we had PARP inhibitors. This is a targeted therapy that blocks a specific protein involved in DNA damage in ovarian cancer. But still, Typically, those targeted therapies are effective only in 30% of tumors from a given subpopulation. So really where this is going is that we need to find the right drug for the right tumor. And the way to do this, the way that we, with the strategies are, first, we need to molecularly profile the tumor. So we need to know what are the mutations that the tumor cells carry. In addition to that, we need to know how they're changing their protein expression in response to therapy. So we have done studies where we, by looking at the difference 
in protein expression before and after treatment with the PA3K mTOR inhibitor, then we can predict which patient tumors are going to be best candidate for this drug. So the goal is to do like, as you said earlier, a test to specific inputs and then stratify patient tumors into beans of different drug cocktails so that we can match the appropriate drug to the appropriate patient. But we still have a long way to go to do this successfully. Does it matter whether the tumor is metastasized or not? So this is a very good question. And this is where having microfluidic tools where you can model the different organ sites of metastasis. So broadly speaking, metastatic tumors are harder to treat. And that could be because to treat a tumor that is part of a distant organ, such as the lung, let's say, then you probably also have damage to the lung cells. So now we need to start identifying therapies that are specific only to the tumor cells in specific sites and not to the normal host cells. The way we can do that is in the lab by labeling human cells, so lung epithelial cells or macrophages, with specific fluorophores, we also have the tumor cells labeled with other fluorophores, and then we perform live cell culture experiments, and we can track growth and death of each cell population. So then it becomes an optimization problem of how can we identify the appropriate dose of drugs to kill the tumor cells while sparring the normal cells. And another really exciting technology that we published many years ago, but I think there is a great opportunity for interaction with biomaterial science at the McGowan, we can call these smart biomaterials that only de- release the chemotherapy, the drug, when they're externally actuated. So we use a thermally actuated liposome. By using focus ultrasound, we could hit locally parts of the tumor. We applied that in brain tumors, and we showed that we could only kill tumor cells in the area where we release the drug while sparing normal brain cells in distant sites of this So I think I understand that protein expression is an important consideration. How do you handle that? The protein expression is the first input into the treatment problem. So there have been a number of therapies that work well only in tumors that express specific proteins. So one example that we work with in the lab is HER2-positive breast cancer. The way that we address this is by using antibody-based technologies to measure protein expression in uh, tumor samples, both in established cell lines, but also in samples from the clinic. So now there is a very interesting aspect that the cancer research field is emerging. You can start with a patient sample that expresses this protein uniformly, but then as the patient undergoes therapy and treatment, these cells that are sensitive to therapy are eliminated by the therapy, but then you're left with tumor cells that have either acquired mutations or are left behind that don't express this target. So then you need to adapt your therapy. And that is a huge challenge in the clinic right now. So having bioengineer models where we can predict this evolution of tumor to therapy is a huge challenge. So good science takes time. But in terms of people who are suffering from cancer, They're obviously interested in what's available now. What's the status of this work in terms of being clinically available? The research we have done and that is closest to the clinic is in ovarian cancer, where we 
focused on three inhibitors that have already been tested as single agents. Those inhibitors targeted anti-apoptotic proteins. The drug is uh, named Navitoclax by AbbVie. And then we had PI3K inhibitors by Genentech and make inhibitors that are approved. So what we found was that we could sensitize, we tested about 14 patient-derived xenografts. Out of these 14 tumor samples, we could sensitize about four of them pretty well. So we could actually have tumor control in mice where the tumor stopped growing. And now our clinical collaborators in Boston are in the process of moving forward with this drug combination uh, in clinical trials. The NCI has a program through which medical oncologists can request these compounds from the companies and then they can start clinical trials. So I understand that you're also doing some work on localized release technologies for treating tumors. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So this localized release technologies is using an thermally responsive liposomal technology where we have the chemotherapeutic duct doxorubicin that is encapsulated in liposomes that release the drug once they're heated above typically 40 degrees. So a major issue is how can you heat tissues locally, right? Because the, you can deliver the drug systemically through intravenous injection and then you also you want to hit only part of the tissue where the tumor is located. The way we do that is with focus ultrasound. So focus ultrasound is a technology where the ultrasound transducer can deliver mechanical energy that is transformed to thermal energy locally within a radius of, you can go down to a few millimeters. And we develop a microfluidic device where we could study in detail the release kinetics, optimizing the, those frequencies and uh, our collaborators at Georgia Tech are now taking this technology in studies to optimize both chemotherapies but also a very exciting de development in immunotherapies. So you mentioned earlier about single cell assay. Tell us a little bit more about that in terms of how this works and uh, the importance of being able to do studies with single cells. In cancer, single-cell analysis is key because if you are not able to eliminate all the cancer cells in a tumor, there is the possibility of a relapse. So there could be a few cancer cells left that exhibit a mutation that cannot be targeted by this therapy, and then these cells can come back and form a new tumor. So there are a number of different technologies that employed both clinically and in the research lab. The most comprehensive way to characterize single cells right now is single cell DNA and RNA-seq, where actually through developments in microfluidic technology, droplet microfluidics, now scientists can encapsulate single cells in droplets that are then subsequently analyzed by extracting their DNA and their RNA. So then we can actually find both the identity of these cells. Are they tumor cells? Are they fibroblast immune cells? And then the particular gene expression profiles of these cells. So then you can imagine that you have now information about, you can think of the patient's tumor as a map. You think that the tumor is a map where each spot is a cell with a specific gene expression program or properties, now you have to come up with a therapy that will be effective in targeting all these spots in the map. 
And one way we have started to deal with it is by mapping these proteins on pathways. So then we can find a cocktail of drugs that will be effective in targeting multiple of these pathways. That's very interesting. Certainly be a great tool for the clinician. So these studies are very interesting. How do they relate to regenerative medicine? Yes, so the platforms that we have developed using microfluidics and 3D collagen matrices, typically collagen hydrogels or matrigel, allow us to model the cellular microenvironment. So we can have epithelial cells, endothelial blood vessels. So we can actually form mini tissue mimetics in microfluidic constructs where we can actually study diffusion of growth factors, diffusion of drugs. This is basically now enable us to ask fundamental questions about how cells communicate with each other, both in the context of disease, but also in the context of development. So, for example, an interesting area is how can we optimally form a vascular bed? How should we arrange the fibroblasts and the mesenchymal stem cells and the pericytes so that we can have functional blood vessels with appropriate permeability function? Vascularization certainly is important in terms of regenerative medicine, so this looks like a very interesting application. So I'd like to thank you for sharing with us your pioneering studies. We wish you and your collaborators best wishes for continued success. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. We thank you for joining us via Zoom and best wishes for continued success.